Hi and welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman and this one's a little different. This is episode 100 and uh, I don't know, I I feel a little uh, self-conscious talking into this recorder at at, at night uh, with no guest. Um, Usually I have a guest and as you know if you've been listening to this before and usually I record the intro in in a studio um, after I've you know edited the conversation but uh, this one's a little bit more on the fly I um, want to present to you a few little bits and pieces from past episodes it's um, not so much a best of or a top 10 or a, just a few highlights and I, and I guess uh, there's several reasons to feel self-conscious about that um, first of all um, I, it sounds like I'm going back and picking favorite bits of things that I've been involved in, which is exactly what I'm doing. Um, there's no way around that. And also, I, I'm worried that anyone who's been a guest of this show who doesn't appear in this little um, in this little snapshot show, um, I'm worried about the people that, that, that don't get mentioned. I mean, I've had uh, 98 or 97 conversations, because there's a couple of episodes that that were um, not interviews but most of them have been an interview conversation situation with people and they've all been great I wouldn't have run them if I thought they were a disaster if, if I'd fucked it up or the person had fucked it up I, you wouldn't have got to hear it I'm, I'm really pleased with them um, and it was quite strange going back and listening to a few little bits of them because I have the conversation and then it gets tucked away and then I listen back to it to to okay it and to edit it to decide uh, if anything's going to come out of it um, so I do actually go back and listen to them but then it's very rare that I would listen to them again when I release them um, for you guys to hear um, I don't go back and listen to them I, I have done with one or two maybe the first one um, to hope that it was okay maybe the second one to see that I was improving and then one or two other ones down the track I've, I've um, listened to you know most of most of an episode here and there but but for the majority of them and and so several of these ones that I went back through and you're going to hear little bits and pieces of was my first time hearing them in in a long time um and it was you know there are some bits where I cringe about things that I've that I've done or asked or, or opportunities I've missed but mostly I just wanted to to um have a handful of things to um to to sort of really well this whole thing is arguably for myself and so it was it's a it's a way of sort of um looking back at seeing the progression of the podcast and 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 trying to pick some of the themes and see what i'm trying to do and 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 celebrate some of the great um people that have given up their time and and talked and told some great stories or admitted to some interesting uh truths um there's a lot of vulnerability that goes on and and you know some of these conversations most of them happen I guess in my house but some of them have happened um, a couple of them have happened on the other side of the world or in another country at least and uh, some of them happen where I go and, and visit people in their house or in another you know sometimes in another city in New Zealand so um, all of that plays a factor how people are on the day how I'm feeling on the day um, I I don't still I don't really have a clear um, understanding of, of of what I'm trying to do in the podcast I'm just well it's simple I'm just trying to have a conversation with people that are generally involved in the arts and 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 trying to make their way in the arts and I'm trying to I guess I'm trying to do the same I'm trying to make my way in the arts and I'm trying to make my way commenting 
uh, around the arts and, and this has become a really important part of the process for me. I, I leave some of these conversations or the person might, might leave my house and I will I'll sit and think, wow, that was amazing. That was, you know, that's just so different to any other type of interview I've done. Uh, a couple of these examples, um, you know, that you're going to hear um, where I was away from home, um, I sort of left that person's house or studio um, almost punk punch drunk, you know, elated, just thinking, wow, I, not because the person was so super famous or anything like that, just because I connected with them and, uh, and because of what we talked about and the way, and the way that it happens, it's, uh, it's, uh, they've never felt too forced to me. I don't know what, what you think, but they've never felt too forced to me. Um, I'm really grateful to our, our sponsors, Yeasty Boys, uh, Le Petit Chocolat and Tea Leaf Tea. I'm really grateful to, um, Katie, my wife, who who puts up with a lot of this, uh, the other week um, you'll get to hear episode 101. You know, I pretty much sent her to bed at 7:30 so I could talk to someone, and uh, and and she, her and Oscar went off and read stories down the other end of the house, and 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 then when the guest left, she sort of, you know. Uh, whispered is it right if I come out now and I, I, I never take that for granted it doesn't happen that often uh, usually I find a way to do them where I don't have to banish the people I live with but I'm always really grateful that they um, understand that this is a part of my life and therefore a part of their life and uh, and Mr Lofi Sheriff helps me put these episodes together they they, they really wouldn't happen without without his uh, support and his expertise um, so a regular episode, a, a proper conversation will will arrive um, next week. And so if you want to skip this one, if you're still listening, and then you know you, you've, if you've heard all of these episodes before, you're not going to hear anything new today that you haven't already heard. But I, I don't imagine anyone has sat and listened to all 99 of the previous episodes. So maybe there's something in here for you. Um, I'm just going to play some clips and I'm going to give you a tiny bit of context um, for each one. So thank you for listening. Um, the, the other thing I have to say is that um, some people have asked over the last couple of years uh, how this is funded and how I, I make uh, uh, any money off it and I, and I don't. Um, it's not funded in, in any way. It's funded through me scraping together, um, you know, enough money for batteries for a recorder and, and enough money for um, petrol if I have to go somewhere. And um, and then I, you know, pay a web subscription and I um, pay with my time. So um, I have just recently, and if you follow off the tracks, you might already know this, um, but I have um, set up a press patron uh, donation thingy. A press patron has to has to approve you and decide that you're a worthwhile sort of cause, uh, that you've got some journalistic integrity, or, or or that you offer some sort of service related to journalism. So, um, if you go, if you want to, and you go on the site, you'll see it on the site off the track. So you can click the donate button. And and I want to thank the um, people that have donated. There have been some um, donors. Some people uh, have paid a one-off um, sum of money. Some people have subscribed and are going to um, donate monthly and um, thank you so much to everyone some of those people are, have have uh, are anonymous donors and some of them I know who they are and I've uh, hopefully thanked them all personally um, and certainly plan to so um, I feel awkward <laughs> even trying to give that a, a plug but it is a necessary thing and hopefully it will ensure that the podcast can carry on um, I'm pretty excited about um, carrying on after episode 100 I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants at the moment I have one guest 
which is next week's one, I have one conversation um, ready to go, and that's it. So it's all new um, this year. I've, I've run out of um, things in the can. You've heard everything that I've recorded. So um, hopefully I'm going to keep bringing you an episode every week. Um, and um, certainly if you know someone that you think you'd like to, uh, you know, that would be a good guest or you want to hear from someone, you can... Um, get in touch or get them to get in touch I'm still I've still got people to contact I've still got um, things that are people that I've been planning to talk to for a year and we're just trying to work out how it's going to fit so you know they are going to keep happening so um, yeah my first episode was with Darren Watson and he is going to come back and do a second conversation I haven't actually talked to too many people more than once there's been a couple of repeat guests but Darren's going to come back in a couple of months he's got a new album uh, out in May and I've I've been lucky enough to hear an early copy of that and um, it's a fantastic record so we're going to maybe walk through it track by track but certainly I'm going to catch up with what he's done since in the couple of years since he spoke on the podcast and we're going to talk about the new album and his aims uh, I was pretty nervous when I talked to him uh, I know Darren quite well um, but I was new to the format and so that first episode you won't be hearing a bit from that here and also because he's coming back to have another conversation so hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll be a bit better talking to him the second time but that was that was a fine starting point it was a good person to talk to obviously he was great it was just me um, being a bit nervous as an interviewer um, I kind of felt like the podcast I knew that it was going to be okay and that I was getting some good stuff on the third episode. Um, the first two episodes were great, but on the third episode I talked to Booger Beasley, who is a, a character, and I know Booger pretty well, and he came around with his family, and they were in the other room, and we got to talking, and it's a good yarn about Head Like a Hole uh, and her, you know, his, his sort of... Um, life and his interest in music, his, his connection with metal and hard rock and how he met Nigel Regan and it goes through pretty much the journey of the band um, but a, we were only a few minutes into it, maybe 15 minutes into it when, when, I, when I managed to ask him what happened to Andrew Duno, the bass player in the band and uh, well it just sort of went from there and as it was happening I wasn't so much thinking oh yeah this is exactly what I want, the kind of um, gotcha you know journalism where someone says something that they are going to regret but in fact any any guest on the show gets a speech from me before um i hit record i always say to them anything that you don't want to talk about um you can tell me now if something comes up that you feel really uncomfortable about in the recording we, we can cut it i'm not trying to set anyone up anyway um booger told me the story of how andrew came to be no longer in the band and um here it is after Blood Will Out, we toured Blood Will Out, Andrew Duno hung up his fucking strings. Yeah. <laughs> he cut his strings off his bass and said, stuff that, I'm not playing with you guys anymore. So that was, that, that was uh, at that point, you know, we... Why, we, did, he, why did he chuck the tell him? Did he just... Well... What happened? Uh, I haven't really talked about this. <laughs> that's, why I, that's, why I, that's why I asked We've you. We've always that's why I didn't just, let you know, that... said things, but it, no, it was actually... What it was, was I was in my laundry at Otaki. Yeah. Uh, uh, we had the computer set up there and then I was writing a few emails to the guys and that and uh, and an email came from Nigel Regan. He was at work and it, it explained his sort of, the problem that had been with Head Like a Hole for a while, which was Andrew Duno played space for Head Like a Hole, but when we started, he wasn't really a bass player and we took him on because of his, his looks. Yep. We thought he looked great and we said, well, we can make him a bass player. He could play E, 
and um, and go dum 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 dum. And when we first started, that's all we needed because I couldn't sing, so whatever. Yeah. But as the years went on, we sort of realised that you know he didn't have the skill set as Nigel did, and I think he did actually feel intimidated by Nigel. Uh, almost all the way through, right up until, you know, when we got back together, I, you could still see it in the rehearsal space, and there was still a few things, issues where, you know, we would be playing songs, and I'd be like, you're not playing the song right, and he'd be like, I've always played it like this, and I'm like, yeah, but it's not right, and we would listen to the song, like, i.e., and if he ever hears this, he'll probably realise why, um, when we listen to a song called Chalk Face, um, I said, if we listen to the song Chalk Face, you'll realise you're not playing the right bass line. And it was obvious the bass line was wrong that he was playing, but he he heard it, that it, it was correct, because he thinks he's playing on the record, but he's not, because we didn't tell him. <laughs> so, his brain is telling him, yeah. because he thinks he's been on the record and recorded on the record, but we overdubbed it because yeah. he wasn't up for the task. He still hears it. It's bizarre, mate. I, I couldn't believe it. And we played it. It's a difference between that riff and dum dum da dum dum da dum. He can't hear the difference. Right, right. So, anyway, because of that, Nigel sent an email. Who plays on the record? Is it Nigel? Nigel Regan. Yeah. yeah. Not on every track, but yeah, a yeah. lot of those yeah, bits. Yeah. yeah. So we didn't want to bum him out and tell him, so we didn't yeah. tell him. So anyway, Nigel sent me a record, uh, an email saying, after this tour, you know, we're going to do this record, and I just don't want Andrew to play on the record, because I just don't think he's up for it, and I want I can play bass better than him. Yeah. And he actually said, you know, he's actually shit. He's a shit bass player, Yeah. basically. Yeah. And I was like, I know, bro, um, but... He does the job, but yeah, we can't write music with the guy. We can't really jam with the guy. What do you do? You know, he does. He fits in to the band. He plays solidly, but yeah, it may be hindering our writing skills. Mm. And maybe he might play something on the record. In actual fact, he did play something wrong on the record. We didn't pick up on it until after it was all said and done. And we always wondered why the song didn't end up like the demo. And we're like, what the fuck? You know, like. Mm. So. Um, so I was like, what about, and I wrote something back to Nigel, and then I had another email which I had, which I wrote to everyone, nothing to do with that. Mm. They were directly on top of each other. The two X's for, to get rid of them were right on top of each other, and a mill, you could see them by a mill. I raced out the door and went, holy crap, I didn't send that email. I raced back to the computer, reply all, and it brings up all the band members, send, I ran for the door and then I stopped and went, oh my God, did I send the right email? Because I'd also, yeah, and I put reply all on Nigel's email and sent that to the whole band saying, not Andrew's a shit bass player. And I just sat there looking at the computer going, how do I reach (laughs) in through those cords and pull it back? Yeah, we've all... I think done that or right. something like oh, my that. heart or, was pounding yeah, so hard. I know that feeling. We've I've, and, done, I've definitely done that, bro. And an and email, and all of a sudden the computer went Dong! and that was it. I just knew this is it. That's it. Yeah. Andrew's gone. I opened up the email and he went, "If you, I'm leaving the band." Yeah. 
episode 16 of the podcast I got to talk to Dave Dobbin and I have to say he was on my list from day one and I I hope that would happen I I had met him very briefly and I had interviewed him a couple of times and his manager Lorraine has always been very um well she's great at her job but she's always been very nice to me in terms of replying to me um giving me options to talk to Dave and so on so I wanted to talk to him, his um, new album at the time was just about to come out and um, I got to hear a, a, an early copy of it and I was in Auckland, I was up there for the, I'd just been to the Prince concert, I was hanging around to go to see Slater Kinney, it was a good week, I also interviewed Jim Wilson for the podcast which is episode 20 which is a, uh, one of my favourite episodes um, and I'm thinking I might have actually recorded someone else, it was a busy, it was a busy time. Um, but I got to, on a Friday morning, go around to Dave's house, sit in his little um, shed, his little studio at the back of his house. You can hear the summer cicadas going. And we talked about, you know, his whole life and career. And I'm a huge fan. Uh, and w- w- what happened during the conversation, lots of things came up, but there was a, a couple of moments where he, I thought, got very... Uh, candid and, and, and spoke about his anxiety and mental illness in a way that I, had, maybe I've missed some of the interviews he's done, but I hadn't heard him talk that way. Um, and I just I appreciated his openness. And I don't know if it started before episode 16, but I think that's been one of the really um, important themes of the podcast is talking to artistic people, um, them opening up about uh, struggles, frustrations, um, and and mental illness. I've had um, several conversations with people where where aspects of that have come up. So um, this here is a part of me, uh, apart from the interview with me talking with Dave Dolan. Have you come to understand what you think the sort of seeds, if you like, of anxiety and depression and mental illness for you are, or the, or, or the triggers? Or uh, well, I grew up a Catholic, an Irish Catholic. Uh, and that's that's a bit of a curveball right for a start. Um, I think, uh, yeah, just that. I just think getting that, you know, that sense that you didn't belong or, or that you're disenfranchised or anything, and then just taking that, and you know, tr- getting away from everything you knew, but then still living in the same town. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like being stuck in Undermilk Wood or something, you know. Um, <laughs> There's an element of that, but then there's an element of just trying to prove yourself too. So you spend a lot of time as a young person sort of trying to make people believe that you're actually really talented or really mm. good at what you do. So you you, you overact, you overperform, you oversing, you overwrite, uh, all of those things, you know. Mm. Um, but then you, 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 you know, I think it's struggling with a bipolar thing as well you know having um, this incredible mania and excitement about what what it is you're working on but then falling into a a hole and just thinking that everything you've done shit you know so it's that worthlessness that sort of comes up out of the ground and then pulls you down I wanted to I wanted to come back to that when you see that's part of that's part of that's part of it you can't have a gift of songwriting or a, a talent of of the kind that I've been blessed with mm. and not um, have a thorn, you know, to go along with yeah. it and to recognise what that is. And any artist who's actually confronted himself or herself and explored yeah. explored that, those two dark, 
you know it's very prevalent with musicians isn't it i mean all, it is. all, all and, forms and artists, of artists yeah. but just and thinking I, of musicians it's very i have the most you know i have nothing but affection and, and sympathy for anybody who makes a choice going okay i'm going to do this everything else is out the window i'm not going to wait tables i'm just going to make music mm, you know mm. i have huge admiration for them, mm. but there's for some of us there's that side to have to wrestle with it you're not in the room you know you're not fully present uh, you know you can tell with people you can just tell you know and I, I, I look back and I tell myself you know you did things out of panic or trying to please somebody else and spending all your time pleasing other people and stuff and then you're actually losing your heart and soul or your identity or, or, you, or you just try to please everybody but you still feel worthless you know? mm-hmm. and that's a big side of depression and bipolarism and stuff but it, you know it's a still it's a it's a bit of a those kind of labels they really piss me off too mm. because it's yeah i got diagnosed i think a few years ago as bipolar and it really or manic depressive they call it bipolar disorder now it sounds more kind of german <laughs> and precise mm. manic depression <laughs> sounds like oh the maniac in the room mm. um but it uh yeah, and that as soon as I recognised that, that that was the problem, and I went back and you know did some counselling and stuff and figured out a lot of the seeds of it, then it it, it made me more creative and to understand what you like where, where the creative tap into it from. and go you tap into it yeah, yeah you do this and is you go okay well I have to somehow express all this and then in the end you 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 can do something really sort of deliciously sad (laughs) but somebody will will adopt it as their favorite song because it expresses something kind of wordless or nameless that that they feel themselves so stepping out of yourself and going okay well this is this is the task I have this is this is my um, redemption is Mm. is um, my salvation is 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 working you know, with my own, with my own cross to bear, mm. but turning into something beautiful. You know, hopefully. And yeah. then I think that's a great thing to have artistically. It's like, ta-da! It, it was a kind of a eureka moment for me. And then, so that sort of led me on the path to getting better, and then getting, you know, and having having a bit of help, and then helping myself, and you know, adopting a different routine, and mm. just trying to get better as a person and a player and a, a writer, and then. Yeah, things just seem to keep opening up for me now, you know. So but it's, it feels it, like there's some momentum. It's important, I think, Whereas to hear. Whereas the other side be between records would be just nothing. Mm, mm, you know? mm. Whereas now it feels like there's actually some some momentum here. It was probably always there, but I I didn't know how to how to uh, consolidate it, you know, um, in my in my mind, in my heart, in my behaviour as to how to consolidate it into a a, a consistent you know consistent records, consistent shows. You know, consistency of dealing with people and understanding an audience and stuff like that. Those are all things that I've, things that have only just kind of grown into after the last few years. You know, see, it, some people get a head start because they're smarter than me. You know? mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just I'm just listening, going. It's important. It feels important to me to hear you say this, as it does with anyone, to share yep. those sorts of stories, right? Because as you said, the labels are. Um, Frustrating and yeah, they don't uh, really alienating. Yeah, they don't they, explain they don't, it. They don't explain the the, the individual 
story. Yeah, that, that every story is different. kind of label. A blanket, and it's not... Well, because I, I wanted to... try to, you know, name, sort of go somewhere near a condition or somewhere near the, the kind of... Um, yeah. The things you had to wrestle it's Ballpark with. stuff, isn't ballpark it? Ballpark stuff. Yeah, so you can't just grab a... That sort of pisses me off about English these days. It, there's so much that's been kind of... There's so much of the language that, that's been kind of beaten up and, mm. and um, sliceified yep. into to these slots and labels and things. So well, I wanted to come back to when you... Oh, my mother's got Alzheimer's and, and I don't think she has at all. I think she's just, you know, suffering from old age. <laughs> well, I wanted to come back uh, uh, to when you first said talking about uh, not just anxiety but sort of crisis of confidence and worrying about yeah. competence. I mean, I th- uh, what I think is interesting about hearing you talk about this, we've, we've never talked about this before the couple of times I've mm. talked to you, but um, I'm not sure how how often you've sh- shared these sorts of stories. But not often, actually. People would, people would think... Mm. Um, He's successful. Yeah. He must be okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, there are a dozen odd records, so even if there's been a bit of a break between yeah, the take a look recent at my one, lovely sports car. Yeah, that, he's that Toyota has <laughs> lent me. Yeah. He's he's um <laughs> he's obviously doing okay. He can't have any any problems, and and that's such a naive response, but it is one that people have because they define yeah. something by an idea of success. It's and an they idea. Don't, yeah. They don't and think they about go, all they of the things with that. An image, yeah. You know. But I also think it was the hardest thing for me to grapple with in the old days was I didn't know what the image, what an image was, you know. But what does that mean? You, you mm. know, you've just got me and blah, 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 and then people would have various ways of explaining it or, or telling me straight that I didn't didn't have an image or something, you know. It was, it was really difficult for me to get my head around. I think I understand it more now, but... Um, I feel like you understood it as soon as you wrote I Can't Change My Name. Yeah, well, funny you should mention that because there was a guy that came out, David Field, I think his name was, he used to work for Capital and he was involved with Crowd House Records and stuff. So I think he's an American guy. Mm. He came out one year when I was going through some stuff with Sony and uh, it was a Friday night beer with him and I think Michael Gladding and somebody else from Sony, I sat there and then this guy just gave me a huge dressing down, <laughs> saying you haven't got anything, you don't have a story, you, you know, all of this, and it was just like, I walked out of there sort of going, oh, I'm feeling completely gutted. And then when I was playing with Neil, when we were touring acoustically around mm. the US, and we had, uh, I think it might have been the night that, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was um, Ron Sexsmith was our guest, and I opened for for Neil, and he comes to play the piano on my last tune and stuff. And, uh, but I got to play. I can't change my name. And then this guy, David Field, turns up. He he was at the gig, so I finished playing, and he came up to me afterwards. He said, "That's the perfect swan song." <laughs> <laughs> you know, like let it's me over guess, for you. Let me you guess. Know. You haven't heard from him since. <laughs> Fortunately, you know, I really hope he's, you know, um, I don't know. I hope (laughs) found what he's looking for. (laughs) I hope the Lord is blessing him in some way. Maybe maybe he's um, feeding the poor or something. (laughs) Changed his mind. You know, I pray that he 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 does. But you know, there are a few people that I could build up grudges for and stuff. But I knew I I learnt that all that all that sort of stuff 
all those resentments were kind of holding me back, so I let them go. Okay, so episode 28 was um, me talking to Jeff Boyle from Jacob. Now, Jacob are one of my favourite bands that are just at, right at this moment celebrating their 20th anniversary. We, we, we touch on that in the podcast because it was on their mind that it was, it was coming up. And um, three guys from Napier, the same three guys have been in the band, uh, no lineup change. Um, no, you know, they have a little break now and then, but no break up and reform. Just three guys that go off and do side projects, but have this this band Jacob that is uh, an absolute force. And um, this was a, a funny conversation. For, well, it was quite a serious conversation about, and 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 it goes pretty geeky about music. And and I kind of am a fanboy in this conversation because I I met Jeff before and comfortable talking to him but I just in awe of this band so we we had this but what was funny about it was um, I picked him up from the hotel on a Sunday morning very early after Jacob had played a blinder of a show and he was he was up for it um, but the other two guys in the band were still asleep and snoring he reckoned and I couldn't bring him back to my place because uh, it was you know my son was going to be around and just getting up and um, so we were like we'll find somewhere so we went for a drive and we ended up just parking up at the beach and so I'm sitting there with the recorder between us and I realised this is probably the most in, uh, intense conversation I had with someone for the po- for the podcast in terms of our proximity we're just sitting there in the two front seats of the car and it's not the nicest day but it's quite funny you can hear the rain on the roof at various points um, anyway this is just a little snippet from this conversation from the very start because I just I love the way this one started I loved Jeff's um, um, appraisal of his gig and the way he talked about it and just the it just sets up the you know the whole conversation to me was very special but I, I like the start of this one so this is the opening few minutes of me talking with Jeff Boyle from Jacob how was last night it was really good. Yeah, it was really, really. <laughs> it good. felt like a really good gig, but I, yeah. I, I know because I've and it, not just you, but I've talked to other musicians and um, and you go, shit, what do you think of that gig? It was great, and the musicians always like, yeah, we didn't really, you know, yeah, I'm glad yeah, you yeah. liked it, but we didn't really yeah. feel it. But it, you guys obviously had reason to celebrate, and um, it was a good crowd and everything, and, yeah. and it's a good venue, and you, yeah. you know, you seemed. It seemed pretty good, but it's good to know you liked yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of times where, where yeah, I'll get off stage having like hated the show yeah. you know and people will be like oh man that was really amazing and you're, and you're like really we get the same gig you know <laughs> like yeah but um and you know and vice versa you know but um but no last night was really really enjoyable you know? yeah like it was i love san fran you know this this the state um the stage sound the, uh, mm. the monitors everything you know just the way that this um, stage sounds is amazing and we love playing there you know we really really do well you've told me before on one of the gigs that I've missed, you've gone, oh, you know what? That actually wasn't a particularly great. I remember you saying that one wasn't so great, so you didn't miss much kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. You're probably being like ridiculously humble with that, but you guys do sound good there. Mm, you know, I've, yeah, seen you, I've seen you play there a lot, and you sound it does work for you. Yeah, I think I think it resonates with what we're playing really well. You know, like I think because what we play is really sonic, and mm. and I think um, I was having a conversation with this um, about this with a few people last night after the show, like. I think I think a little um, a little uh, accidental secret of ours is is with all the delays, um, they sort of they sort of compound on each other and create overtones, yep. which is kind of like our sort of hidden vocal. Mm-hmm. You know, it creates mm-hmm. these overtones, which creates a whole another melody line. You know, 
And I think certain venues will, will resonate with us better than others. And I think for some reason San Fran really resonates with what we do much better. You know? Well, there was something very special from the first couple of tracks last night. I mean, you, you've got these kind of, I guess, signature opening pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we do. they are like business cards for the band, yeah, though, yeah. in that, in that uh, you sort of reveal almost every trick you're going to play in yeah, the yeah. best possible way. It's yeah. like, you know, so it's, it's, it's um, your, your own review. It's like, <laughs> if you don't like this, yeah, yeah. you might as well leave might, now yeah, because yeah, this, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> but uh, again, I mean that in a good, you know, the, then you go on to repeat yourself in yeah. interesting ways yeah, rather cool. than just doing the same thing. But yeah. so last night I was, it felt pretty special from the start and I was chatting with someone when it started and saying, um, you know, it, it's not that these guys aren't great, all great musicians, because you are, but there's something that, you know, it's that epitome of the band being, being bigger, larger than you guys, yeah, and yeah, that, yeah. and that yeah. the, the sound you end up making, a whole lot of better musicians than you, if there are, if they do exist, couldn't get that sound. Cool. You know, you've made yeah. a sound that... Yeah, I, I, see, I see what you mean. Yeah. That's sort of... Um, you know, you couldn't go and make that sound with two other players. Yeah, you could yeah, make elements all. of it. Yeah, I couldn't. Couldn't. You're a, and you're a crucial component, mm. and so you could bring what you do. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. definitely uh, um, something that's greater than its parts. Yeah, mm. I, mm. I, I hear you, man. Like there's, it is, it is like a, um, it is a serendipitous thing that you know that just happened when we started jamming. You know, like it's just, I, I and mean, there's lots of bands out there that, that are like that, like you know, like Outer Space and HDU and. Um, and you know, probably Slint even yeah. going, going all the way back to them. You know, like they were just four guys that were just gelled so amazingly in such a unique way. You know what I mean? And they ended up by influencing, inspiring a whole genre. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. And they were like 18 years old. You know? Yeah. So I think there's certain people that get together musically and just have this, I don't know, like a synergy or something. You know? Yeah. And we seem to have that. You know? So. You, you mentioned to me last night before you went on stage, you got the 20th anniversary of the band, yep. looming, looming, yep, yep. <laughs> coming up. Which and 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 I said in reply, not many bands make it to 20 years these days, and and not you know it's a very finite group that make it there without lineup changes yeah, and yep. you know disruption and completely changing, you know whether you want to call it selling out or whatever, <laughs> completely yeah, yeah, yeah. changing the sort of focus and flow of the music, whereas you guys, you can look back, you can look back through your things and see everything's lined up correctly. Yeah, it's you know, quite every, linear, yeah. yeah. In 2016, I we went on a family holiday to the States and... Um, we were in San Francisco for part of it, and I knew that Sylvie Simmons lived there because I had visited her um, a few years earlier when I'd gone to San Francisco. I'd sort of cold-called her, and, and she had invited me around to, to visit. She was in the middle of writing, or near the end of writing, the Leonard Cohen book um, when I visited her in 2012. And um, so she had a, was very generous with her time, um, chatting to me about all sorts of things, and I was just being a fanboy and asking her questions about all the people she'd interviewed. Um, she's one of my favourite writers. And um, we, we'd sort of stayed in touch. And then when she came to New Zealand um, to promote the Cohen book, um, 
she ended up staying the night at, at, at our house. I think I talk about this in the intro to the podcast. And then uh, a few days later, we were both in Sydney at the same time. I was over there to cover the Vivid Festival. She was over there to be part of the, the book festival that was happening at the same time. And I mentioned that I was going to craft work and she said, oh, can you get me a ticket? And I was kind of like, man, now I feel the pressure. I can't, you know, I don't know that I can get an extra ticket to a show that I've just been given one ticket to. And, and But I don't want to let Sylvie Simmons down. Uh, of all the people to let down so I sort of name dropped her in an email and they they came back and said that they could they could find an extra ticket so um, Sylvia and I went to the Craftwork show together to see the band play Autobahn which was in 3D which was pretty special and um, and then yeah so a year or so later from that we get to or a couple of years on from that we get to 2016 and we're back over there for a family holiday so I got in touch and and thought she'd be a great podcast um, guest at which of course she was um, and so I was back at her house, I'd been to it before, and uh, this time I've got the tape recorder, and it felt, yeah, felt very funny re- tape recording someone who had clearly tape recorded so many people across her um, her life and career. And uh, so there's a nice little, there's a few nice little moments for me in this podcast, but there's just a, f- a few short minutes here of us talking about, I guess, why she continues to do what she does, and, and um, I just like this little bit. Do I remember seeing Craftwork? Of course so, I did. I wasn't reviewing it. <laughs> yeah, 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 I, I know. You said, I thought that was really cool. You said, um, you, we sat down and you said, um, now, do you mind if I take notes? And I kind of, you know, I felt like I was part of that support crew that would have 40 years ago carried in your tape recorder. I was like, I'm, I'm part of the team here. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm watching someone who I've read write about music for years take notes in preparation and I felt guilty we've all got our different process but I felt for a second slightly guilty that I was going to write about that show and not take notes because <laughs> I've I've taken notes before at shows I used to do that and these days I find mostly I don't need to but I still usually take a pen and paper absolutely I want to write something down I used to write down the um you know most of the track list as it was happening and if I didn't know the mm. song I could write down a lyric or but Nowadays you go home from a show and the track list is online by some eager fan as soon as you get home, so you can actually look the whole thing up. So now I sort of might take notes of something that mm. catches my eye that happens, but I'm also trying to train myself to remember that. To me it's almost part but of the process. But it was cool that you, exactly, it was cool. You know, I, I, just, I lose all these notes at the end of it, I don't keep my notebooks. Yeah, yeah. You know, some of them get piled somewhere, I wouldn't be able to find out. That's what I... that piece of paper or whatever I wrote. That's what I took from that, when you said mm-hmm. that, I just thought that's really cool, that's your way of listening to this, that's, it's that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking before, like when you explained about um, always having to have an opinion on music and processing it and composing an article I wondered if I could after this get Katie on the phone and you could explain that to her so <laughs> she knows that there is someone else <laughs> in the has world this that madness, has that madness with this particular yeah. illness <laughs> yeah it does feel like that sometimes as I say I, I am so obsessional if I go in a supermarket and they're playing you know some R&BP thing that I don't like but one of the new young kids who's had their voice on auto tune mm. You know, I'm I'm analysing it while I'm trying to get some frozen peas and you know a pint of milk. It can get really quite insane. So I think that's what keeps me going on it. Mm. And usually because, as I say, from the luck of having got in when I did into writing and and staying in so long, people ask, and I go, yeah, that's interesting. Sure, I'll write about that. And it's really fascinating. Mm. These days, there's no absolutely no money in it. 
you know, mm. in the past you could sort of look oh, like know, an undergraduate <laughs> student if you worked seven yeah. days a week, but you were having such a good time, you didn't care. Now you can't even live like a regular student, mm. you know. So it's more something that you do for for the pure love of it. Mm. And and it is good, I still do like going out and, you know, so hanging with Terry Reid for a day. And, mm. and so I even set up a gig for him in, in San Francisco. On the way back from that uh, America trip, um, we were in Sydney for a few days and one of the things that I really hoped would happen and didn't know if it would um, was getting to talk to Mike Nock. Uh, well, by the time I arrived in Sydney I knew it was going to happen. What I mean is I sort of put the call out several months in advance and sort of hoped and 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 he actually came back pretty quickly and just went, yeah, let's do it. Um, and he, he's, you know, he sort of said, I, I know who you are, you've written about me a few times, you've been very kind, um, you're interested in the music, I'd love to chat to you. Um, I've been fascinated with Mike Nock. I mean, I just think he's—I think he's a genius. And again, this is me kind of geeking out talking to him. But man, to to sit and talk to someone who who um, knew Tony Williams and Miles Davis and, and people like that was was incredible for me. Um, and uh, just just going to play you a few short minutes from this, like just a couple of minutes. Um, in the middle of the conversation, just him talking about sort of um, being a working musician and playing with some of these greats and how that kind of came about for him. And uh, I just, I love so much of his music, but I love the way he talked. And, and we had a great day, like a great afternoon. I went to his house. He, um, he uh, let me in and we had the conversation and then he made soup and we sat and had lunch. And then he walked me to the train station because it was about 15 minutes away from his house and he was... Um, worried I was going to get lost so yeah I remember that all fondly and um, and I think the world of him and his music and this is just a few minutes of me talking to him this was episode 35 it was like a who's who of jazz because in those days these guys used to tour by themselves mm. Mm. and we were the rhythm section for, for two years it was like a who's who of jazz mm. you know Coleman Hawkins uh, Sonny Stitt all the time Zoot Sims I mean you know I, mean, I yeah. just r- r- yeah. rattle off all the names yeah. all these cats came to play and yeah. I was the pianist and yeah. that'd be for a week at a time mm. you know so when that finished then I got called to go with Yusuf and got really immersed in the black thing because I was mm. touring the Chitlin circuit with his band, mm, mm. you know. So it's, it's been a process. I've just fallen into these things. So what was that like for you as a white guy who's um, not from an American culture, and also, I mean, not a physically, you know, you're not a physically imposing kind of figure either. Was, was that a daunting prospect for you? Not at all. I mean, the thing is, I was about playing wonderful yes, music. I was in it. Yeah, I was were, in it. You were in it. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't think about any of that stuff. Mm, mm. You know, I really didn't think about any of that stuff. I was there, I played with Yusuf too. When I was playing with Yusuf, it was when Malcolm, Malcolm X got killed. And that was heavy. I mean, to be playing it, I remember the day exactly when we were just getting ready to go off on a tour, you know, mm. like it was got the news. It's like, you know, we, we toured around the country, as I said, the Chitlin Circuit. Mm. It's a pretty weird looking band, I tell you, just mm. the quartet, mm. just the, even looking wise. Mm. You know, mm. We had the quintet actually with Johnny Coles playing. And weird sounding too. <laughs> <in> <laughs> a really good one. It was. Yeah. You yeah. know, it, really was, it was pushing limits. Right? It was pretty scary though, yeah. because it was like, it, it, but that's, mm. I didn't see a white person sometimes for weeks at a time. Mm. You know, mm. why would I? I'm, you know, you're on the road. Playing jazz to jazz fans 
Well, well not always. Not but jazz fans. But music fans. Yeah, it was yeah. the black scene. Yeah. It was like, you know. So they're open to it. Yeah, they're open to it. Yeah, so they become jazz fans. <laughs> well, whatever. Yeah. That was yeah. just the music. Yeah. It was, yeah. You know, we, it, the, the distinctions. It's a very groove based jazz, too, isn't it? So it has that. In, well, in parts. isn't all, to me? I, to me, I still feel that that's what jazz is about. Now, look, I mean, of course, it is many, many hats and many mm. ways of doing all the stuff, you know. Mm. But to me, I really did get a grounding in that approach. It's the emotional approach more than mm. anything, mm. you know, because there's different ways of doing stuff. Mm. But that band had a really emotional content, led, and because it was led by Yusuf, who was one of those guys that just, mm. you know. He was great like that. It was mm. it was a real lesson to me, you know. Mm, mm. You know, and of course I was playing with guys like Sam Rivers, which are pretty out and everything. Mm. But that was also part of it. It was all it was an emotional response to life, mm. and I see that. I think that's happening again. Mm. I really do in another way now, because the world is so messed up in so many ways, and I see a lot of young musicians coming up. There's a change going on. There's a big change going on. I talked to Nadia Reed um, when she was in between albums. She had recorded the second album. The first album was still doing the rounds, and um, and I, you know, I didn't know her. I just sort of put a last minute call out because I was a fan of her record, and I I knew she was a great talent. I hadn't seen her perform at that point, but I just thought she was great. And um, so I put out this call to her, and I didn't I didn't. For some reason, I just didn't think she would be that interested, but she was very interested in, in, in the conversation, and, and we had a great conversation. I'm only playing a tiny bit from this. Um, I just liked her attitude through the whole conversation. I just thought she was, um, you know, uh, well, well, anyone who knows her music can, and, and has seen her perform knows that she's a, a real talent. Um, but I just liked her calmness and her, you know, her relaxed. But confident nature, and I, I'm God. I'm, I hope that doesn't sound patronising. It's not meant to. I'm, I'm in awe of her. I think she's a huge talent. Um, and so this is right near the end of the conversation, and just I just sort of like the way she discusses the, the the new record and what the next record might sound like. My my mindset for this new record is literally it's a, just a natural progression, and it was a I wanted to do it, and I've done it, and I'm happy about it, and yeah, I hope. I think people that are already fans, I think I think they're gonna I think it's yeah, gonna be good for them. You don't think you're gonna piss anyone <laughs> off that was on board. Nah. You don't think you're gonna jettison any because they can't deal with this. That's gonna be a logical progression. I think for album number three we're gonna go kind of like strip we're gonna strip back. Right. Yeah. We're gonna do like kind of Rawlings Welsh kind of vibes. Right. Because, you know, both these albums are band albums. They're, yeah. they're full, they're yeah. kind of lush. And <clears throat> I think, so number three is, I think, it's just going to be acoustic. Does anything at all exist for album number three yet? Even in sketch? There's new songs. Yeah, yeah. that's what I mean. Like, have you already, like, are you pretty regular with the writing, songwriting process? You yeah, chip moment. away at them, or is the album the kind of project that makes you write songs it's just kind of like a, a like a time you know like the album three will probably be from like now till whenever yeah it's yeah. just kind of yeah chip away and yeah just i mean i have really the thought of making another album's a bit stressful at the moment but <laughs> but you kind of got to keep yeah think, having that kind of vision and next step 
Another one of the um, conversations that I did overseas was um, at the start of, well, at Easter time last year, 2017, I got to talk to Phil Judd, which was a big deal for me. I mean, he's uh, a, a real hero. Like, his music's just been in my life, I think, well, my whole life, certainly, I can remember. Um, split ends from the age of about four or five it's it's there with the Beatles as an early musical memory for me and and I was always fascinated by Phil Judd um, by his songs and then you know had this great sort of backstory um, thing that my mum had gone to school with him and that my brother's art teacher had taught Phil and and um, he he thought my brother's art was a bit a bit like Phil's and so he introduced my brother to the music of Chanel Fenster who in turn passed it on to me and so um, yeah there's always been this thing of, of the Judds living in Hawke's Bay and, and, and just being fascinated by that so I, you know in about 2008 I think it was or, or 9 I, I made um, some effort to try and interview Phil over the phone and again I didn't really think this was going to go anywhere but it did and I ended up talking to him for a couple of hours and it was you know he was he was great I then spoke to him again on the phone when I was writing um, on song a, a few years on from that so it was always in my mind that it would be amazing to podcast Phil but I didn't know how that was going to happen and I didn't I didn't really think that even though we could have set up a phone interview I didn't think that was going to necessarily capture what I would have liked and then the opportunity came up to to go to Melbourne I went over to Melbourne to see um, Patti Smith which was an amazing show and um, sort of set up this thing that hopefully I'd get a podcast with with Phil and yep so that happened and so again turned up to his house he took me out for lunch he was quite nervous he didn't really I think he didn't really want to do it um, you know he didn't flat out say he didn't want to do it but he he did question whether it was really necessary maybe we could just have lunch and a chat and I had to say to him yep you know look if that's what you want absolutely uh, obviously secretly I'm thinking please please say yes to the podcast I think this is going to go great um, but I really had to kind of um, let him decide over the first hour or so that hour and a half or so that I was hanging out with him that yeah we would do it and then we went up to his little studio a little shed up the back behind his house um, where he's got all his gear where he makes his albums now on his own um, and we he said you know look you want to have a beer I've got I've got two beers we could have one each I'd like to have one but but you know I'd like you to would you have one with me and I was like yeah cool man cool I'm on holiday like, like whatever so but it was a really a big deal for him and um, I'd done my research for this podcast my whole life I've, I, I can't remember a time when you know Phil Judd's music was not part of my my listening so I felt pretty confident that we could take it in a few directions and 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 get a few stories happening and we did. I mean, this is one of the ones I alluded to at the start. I walked out of this. Um, I got a, you know, an Uber into town from his place, and I was sitting in the car thinking, I need to tell this Uber driver what I've just done, who I've just talked to. And um, fortunately, I didn't because it wouldn't. I just know it wouldn't have meant anything to him. But I met Katie in town, and um, and she could just tell by, you know, I had this sort of goofy look on my face which um, well probably it's always there but I had this sort of goofy look on my face where I was just man what have I just done I've just talked to you know one of my idols a, a, a living hero and an, a sort of forgotten hero I think an under underappreciated genius um, so this is a lengthy a lengthy 
um, extract. Um, we start off with Phil talking about counting the beat and the and the swingers, and we go through from there to around about his um, his first solo album. And um, yeah, I, this was a really special conversation for me. This is one of the ones that I have gone back and listened to. I did when when this was edited and put together after I'd done that. When I when I put it out for you guys to hear, I did sit down and have a listen back through to this, and I can genuinely say I'm very proud. Just of the fact that this conversation happened, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled, and I know Phil got a kick out of it, and I know he got um, great feedback, and that, that was cool for him. So um, that, that's that's what I mean by being proud of it. it was, I'm just really pleased that it happened. Now I'm too young to to know anything about the swingers apart from counting the beat on the radio as a song that becomes part of my life as I grow up, like it like it does for a lot of people in New Zealand and, and even in Australia. Um, but so I hear all these different stories. I know I know Split Ends, and I know who you are, and I know that there's a connection between the two that you've come from Split Ends to the Swingers. But um, my stories from there that people have told me, I ask one person, they say they saw the Swingers play. They're a rubbish band that you needed to play live. Someone else tells me best best live band New Zealand ever had, and that you showed no signs of stage fright, and that. So are you still having these? I guess up, ups and downs, what on and off. Yeah, band gets from people. They and that's right. Do what they don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But are you but, still are you aware of? You, you know, how are your moods and how is your mental state at that at that uh, stage in terms of performance? Pretty good time. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, but even though uh, bipolar is a chemical yes. uh, illness, um, still when you when you get it when you're actually feeling good and you know the endorphins, whatever they all they do actually help. But you, you actually, still don't actually know about it at this point. No. Yeah. No. And yeah, yeah. it did crop up and did become a problem again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so, but all the early repertoire we had, very few of them were ever recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, bugger all, in fact. And to me, that's the favourite period of all the music I've done in my life was that the early swingers, early swingers period, and all that material's kind of gone. And because um, we used to really cook, we used to yeah. really go for it. Just Bones and I would just go wild. Mm. And, and it's, yeah, because it's, it's that stripped back rockabilly punk, but also kind of post punk. At the same time, but it, yeah, 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 yeah. But instrumentation-wise, yeah, yeah, it's this, it's this solid trio format. But it's very hard when you put a band together to not that. It's a fatal mistake a lot of people make. Oh, who should we sort of try and sound like? You yeah, know, yeah. big mistake number one. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Let's try and sound like ourselves. A lot yeah, of people are yeah. afraid to do that, right? Yeah. And it's very hard, you know, because bands like The Police, who were also a three-piece, were yes. around, right? And uh, it was kind of a trendy for a while there. Yeah, and, yeah. And, um, three-piece yeah, bands were kind of groovy, uh... but we did it just out of a sense of efficiency, really. Mm-hmm. It was just all I ever thought of was to have a good time. <laughs> we might, and, and we might get paid because there's fewer of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Might actually be able... Because we started playing live and we were getting paid and we played, we played often and yeah. constantly. And we actually, you know, like we didn't do brilliantly, but we didn't need a day job. So you're hitting the pubs in New Zealand. Do you come over to Aussie to play? Do you go far? Kaninsky hears about us again. He goes, mm. oh, fills up something. And he comes over, uh, comes to a gig in Auckland. At, uh, uh, I can't remember the place. Anyway, um, I'm the real. Yeah. And, uh, and he says, OK, Phil, get the band together. You're off to Oz, you know. Yeah. And so, bang, and then again, for me, the same as it was with the ends, it was, it was a, a deja vu situation of, of reality hitting, you know, like once you actually get knee deep in the music business and all the 
crap that goes with it. Uh, that's where I get lost. Now, split ends are still very much needed to see at this point. They're touring and recording. They're about to hit, I guess, their commercial peak, 1980, with with um, yeah the big kind of a lot of the really big songs. Yeah, and I got you. I, think I got you was 1980, and then you know on from there for the next couple of years, they have quite a few hits. Um, uh, what's your connection to Split Ends at that point? Are you actively listening? Are they in touch? Are you interested in what Not they're really. doing? They you're, came you're to removed. a few gigs. We, pl- we did part of a New Zealand tour with them supporting them. Yeah. Um, don't have any big memories of it. Yeah. Um, again, Tim and I, I was thinking, you know, oh, Tim and I can rekindle some sort of connection. Connection, but just didn't happen. Yeah. Um, sent mail, alpha mail. Crap. You do. Um, maybe we'll come to this. You you guys do write a couple like work together again on on my on, instigation. On, on, yeah, on a couple of solo records. Uh, yeah, one, I, you you appear on one of Tim's solo yeah, records. He, he uh, when I was painting in the mid eighties, I mm. quit the music business again. Mm. The swingers folded. You play some gu- guitar or sing. Uh, out of the blue, I hadn't yeah. played anything for two mm. or three years. Uh, mm. I get a call from London. Tim saying, "Oh, Phil, what are you up to?" And I'm saying, "Oh, I'm sitting here painting." Um, what do you want? He goes, oh, I'm lost, I'm, I'm depressed, you know, and blah, 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 I need my mate back and all this sort of stuff. He was mm-hmm. really kind of like really pleading with me to come over and help him out mm-hmm. with this album. So I drop everything. I was working as a freelance illustrator as well. I drop everything I'm doing to go over there and help him and I get there and there's nothing happening. <laughs> He's in the studio recording with the backing band and yeah. all I needed for is some overdubs and some finishing stuff and it's, I'm not needed for like a month. You know? yeah, yeah. And I was a bit sort of, really? You know? <laughs> so Tim gives me some money and says, here, go away for a holiday Phil, for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So I do a little trip around the Channel Islands and... Um, uh, started sort of. I remember I took an acoustic with me and I started kind of because I was back in Mr. Music mode, yeah. thinking about having to play. And um, I'd read an article about a new Roland thing called a Roland guitar synth, and uh, I got Tim onto it and he, he got hold of one for me. Mm. And I took that away with me and uh, got, got to grips with that. And I used a fair bit of that on Tim's album. And one of the first uses of a guitar synth. Yeah, that. right. So, but before that, what when you when the swingers is still happening, that's when you moved to Australia. Yeah, 1980. Yeah, and April, you, May, 1980. You've been here ever since. Yeah, yeah. And then you make a solo record that you don't much like these days. In the early 80s, at the end of the swingers, what, no. happens, well, what happens with the swingers? Okay, the swingers. Counting the Beats, a massive hit, right? Australasia, yeah. uh, February 1981. Yeah. So you're uh, immediately... Gadinsky and Mushroom Records go, oh, fuck, we've got a number one hit here. Yeah. We haven't got an album yeah. to sell on the back of. Yeah. Fuck. You know, like, that's just the most stupid thing. Yeah. Because that's where you make the bucks, yeah. selling an album on the back of a hit single. You yeah. don't make much on a single. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and we were already knee-deep in debt. Yeah. So... Uh, we go up to the music farm, one of the top studios in Australia, and just all set up with David Tickle to record, record yeah. you know, all expensive stuff. Yeah. And drummer fucking breaks his arm about the second day we're there. And so we, we pack up and go to Sydney, um, and we've got to wait for his arm to heal, which is like two months. Yeah. And uh, fortunately for me, I get a call from... Uh, 
the director of um, a film called uh, Starstruck. Mm-hmm. We want, oh, we, Phil, we've got a, a musical uh, comedy film we're doing, we've made. We've just about finished, you know, like pre-production stuff. We need some songs. It's yeah. like, fuck me, what? You thought about the music, like, <laughs> now, you yeah. know? So I'm locked in my hotel room for 10 days and got to write 10 songs, which I do. Yeah. And they're happy with them, and that keeps me uh, busy. Yeah. Totally. And also some income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, then we go off to the music farm, record the album with Tickle. A lot of fun doing it. Great fun, but uh, just, again, uh, I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, not great. Um, really, It's really manic. I must have been in a manic phase because yeah. it just sounds manic to me. I can't listen to it, to yeah. be really honest. Yeah. And uh, everybody just wanted more counting beats. Yeah, I was going to say, you're just basically ordered to write that again, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then we go off and promote touring around Australia, promoting the album. Um, it starts off well, we're getting gigs because, you know, sort of everybody, Gudinski says, oh, this is the Counting the Beat dudes, you know, it's like nine months a year later. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and not many people are coming to the gigs because that's what happens. It's kind of been and gone, yeah, yeah. 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 And, um, and then I have a, a really bad breakdown and uh, lose all confidence and I ask Andrew McLennan to come and be front man because yeah. I just can't handle it. Yeah. I'm losing it. Yeah. And um, that last that that sort of goes okay. R- write and learn a whole new repertoire with him. Tour for a couple of months. I get a call from Kavinsky. Phil, come into the come into the office and see me. I go in and he just puts it right on the table. He says, Phil, this is how much in debt you are. You've got to break up the band. That's yeah. It. Yeah. You owe too much money. It's all over. You can't keep doing this. And what's sad is that some people like Bones still won't speak to me this day because he thinks I broke up the band so I could go and do a solo album. Right. Be Phil Judd, my Phil Judd thing, but it wasn't like that at all. It was, I had no choice. Yeah. Um, and Gedinski says to me, I'll give you I'll give you this much to go and do a solo album. It was basics, it was bare bones, a basic studio in Auckland to go up with an engineer. You've got 30 yeah. days to record an album. Yeah. Just me and the engineer. Yeah. And uh, that was hell. Yeah. I, I had sort of learned how to play everything and do everything, pretty much. Do you have any fondness for... I mean, there's some good material on that, Private Lives. Well, it was all done under incredible duties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've talked to you a bit about that before, and I know you said, you, you know, it's hard to connect with it on any level because it was quite a tough time and a tough, a tough sort of at all order to put it together. But have you ever gone back to it and gone, oh, there's some, there's some pretty good stuff here? Yeah, a couple of songs like Magic Hour, I think it's a good song, yeah. but um, just not executed satisfactorily. Yeah. And uh, Gadinsky comes in here and goes, <laughs> you know, Not what I wanted. Not what I wanted. Yeah. Still no counting the beat number two. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, he says, I tell you what, he's, he, and he gets in touch with um, Gerber, of all people. Is it Gerber? Yeah. Mm. Um, and uh, he arranges Al Cooper to produce five or six of the tracks 
and I think one or two new ones that I wrote and um, I'm sent off to LA to record with Al Cooper and like the best studio musicians yeah. to record this half a dozen songs. Great experience, best pop in the world. Yeah. But um, but just I was basically told by Cooper to just go and sit in the foyer and smoke pot and just Wait. we'll call yeah. you in when we need you for the vocals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had no say in Wow. Yeah, so it's about, arrangements as, about as removed as you can get from and something that's supposed to be yours. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes you get people like Junos and stuff say, oh, you, you might need, you could do with the producer. <laughs> <laughs> when would that ever come up, Phil? My, my, mind <laughs> would, goes back, my mind instantly goes back to all the producers I've worked with and how much they've fucked up every vision I ever had. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather gamble on myself these days, yeah, yeah. I'm afraid, Simon. Yeah, yeah. I um, mean, who, who would have the? Who would ever say that to you these days? But I had some great experiences <laughs> that LA trip. Uh, I remember Al Cooper taking me out to the Black Suburbs because he was cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we went to a gospel wow. church service. Yeah. And I, I just had shivers up and down my spine, this thing, being in amongst them while they were singing, mm. like, like a whole congregation. Mm. And then he, there's a song called Dreaming Away on that album yes. that... Um, that he had the best five male backing singers, you know, fa- they were famous guys. Yeah, yeah. They'd sung on countless hits. Yeah, yeah. You know, wonderful harmonies, and um, I was just in awe. Just that was a great experience that I'll never forget. And mm. also meeting um, Tony Bennett. Yeah, right. Just me and Tony wow. Bennett shooting hoops out the back of the studio <laughs> one day. He was down in the other <laughs> studio. He goes, "Oh, hey, hey, you, you." And here's my accent. He goes, "Oh, yeah. you're from New Zealand, huh?" And uh, we, it tells me stories about being in New Zealand, and that's a wonderful memory I have. Yeah. Hanging out with Tony Bennett for half an hour. Okay, so that was episode 61, um, and we'll take a little jump now to a more recent one. Um, this is episode 87. It's um, Luke Buddha from the Phoenix Foundation, and in the intro to that podcast, I explained that he, he came around and recorded a whole conversation. Um, I'm pretty sure it was at the um, very end of 2016, perhaps. He, um, or the start of 2017, but anyway, he, he felt a little bit worried that, that um, you know, maybe he'd had a couple too many beers and let out a few too many secrets. So he asked me if I, you know, if there was a chance that I could not, not put it out and could we do it again. So I had to listen back to it and I thought, you know, look, this is actually okay to run, but... Um, I wanted to respect his 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 concerns and his wishes, so he came back round more recently, and uh, we did a morning chat had over a couple of coffees, and um, essentially we managed to kind of cover most of the same ground. Obviously, you can never you can never it's a worry when you do have to re-record because you can never have the same conversation the same way twice, which is part of the point of having a podcast and talking to a different person each week. These even with the same questions, you're going to get different answers. So yeah, he came around and we covered most of the same ground. Um, but in a slightly different way and I really like this there's several bits in this um, in this chat where he um, he has a bit of a whinge and then he kind of laughs about how he's having a bit of a whinge but you know within that whinge is a, is, is, is a fair enough point and there's again it's part of that vulnerability and, and openness and honesty that is hopefully part of the point of doing the podcast is artists getting to talk about not only what moves and motivates them, but what frustrates them. So, this is a, 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 a you know a longish extract from near the end of the podcast, which I think is quite entertaining, but it's also you know really quite heartfelt and um, and really um, 
candid and and important. You know, I really I really sympathised with his frustration and um, and and certainly understood it. And um, so yeah, um, this is fairly recent, but I'm going to play this one again. I feel like we made a pretty cool album. Yep. Uh, we made it pretty quickly. The yeah. thing takes for three days, so it was exactly what what we wanted because or what I wanted and what it turned out what Dave Long had wanted because Dave Long had always made pop albums where they would do lay down the drums first and then construct an album mm. around it. We lay down just the band takes in three days at the car club by ourselves. Then it took me like ages to get all the vocals on because lyrics are a nightmare for me. And we did a few overdubs but it's generally band takes with a few overdubs and some produced vocals. Then we mixed it and I reckon about four days at the surgery. Anyway, you know, they don't have a manager, didn't have any money to hire any publicists or anything like that, so I just kind of did it myself, but I'm not very good at admin. And man, like, I didn't even receive emails back from people. Like, the, I sort of, I don't know, I don't think I was naive to think that an album by, you know, members of Phoenix Foundation and Muttonbirds would find some interest in the music press of New Zealand. Like, I would think that people would give a flying fuck, but it seemed that most, I don't actually know if like maybe like so, like I didn't get an email back from any of the newspapers, like the Herald, They don't Dom care though, Post. but do you think there is a music press in New Zealand? See, this is where you've gone wrong. Do you think I guess there is I got, one now? I guess I got, um, there isn't one. Bollinger reviewed it, Nick, yeah. obviously, yeah. and the, I think there was, a, oh, there was a review on The Listener, but I never saw it, and I don't think it was him. Well, they get, yeah, well, he, he, he doesn't, doesn't do it. it. He doesn't so apparently anymore. there was a good review in The Listener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, oh, the spin-off did something, yeah. and the wireless did something in UTR. So actually, like, I guess the three things, yeah. but... That's about all you I can hope I guess I just sort of, like... I mean, I guess maybe I just wasn't prepared for the amount of work that it is to, like, actually put it out and have... I haven't written for the... Tour. I haven't written for the Dominion Post for a year. I still get... I still get emails from people that work at the Dominion Post asking me if I can cover something. Yeah. They think I work there. Yeah. That's how fucked up the newspaper world is. I, I also get requests from, you know, I get requests from random people asking me to cover things in the paper and why can't I? But I actually get internal ones and I get like uh, messages saying, can you, can we, you know, uh, interview about, you know, ask you a question about something to do with music when they fucking fired me. Well, why yeah. am I going to do that? Like, why yeah. am I going to give them a free copy, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but they can't even pass around an internal... So so what I'm saying is, that's not me having a bitch, that's me saying, no wonder they didn't reply to your email. They can't yeah, even yeah. tell the people that work for them not to email someone else and ask for free content anymore. So, yeah. so you know, don't worry about, you know, don't worry about it too much. And yeah, if and you got, if you got covered in spin-off wireless and under the radar, that's and the listener, you, that's sort of it. That is it. Yeah. That's okay. Well, you, there you go. Maybe you I just have, maybe I just have, you know, delusions of grandeur. fucking grandeur. You do because the only thing you could have maybe got, perhaps, that you didn't, is a review in the Herald. But also, you're not an Auckland band, and they, you're saying you, you've had enough troubles with Auckland over the years, occasionally, in terms of the Phoenix the Foundation and stuff. We're an Auckland band. There's even a plaque on yeah. Dominion Road, mate. Yeah, yeah, but the they had number one singles. But the people writing copy for the Dominion po- uh, for the Herald born. now were probably born <laughs> when Dominion yeah, Road sure. came out. So sure. you know they're more interested in writing an article about like you know. Sure, I guess deep in my you know what I guess, sandwich lord like. I guess I'm an outsider in yeah. that in that I don't 
for I guess that the way the world really works and the music industry world really works that everyone wants, especially now, where it's just reached saturation point with new music, people want to be excited about a hot new thing and then forget about it when the next hot new things new thing comes out. Like that's mm. sincerely that seems to be the way it works. Like Pitchfork seems to kind of still maybe rule. I mean, I don't even really know. I'm so out of touch with anything really. So I mean, let's let's just have a confessional here. <laughs> Pitch, Pitchfork kind of seems to rule everything, and it kind of maybe Does decides. It? Well, I think it. I think uh, uh, I wouldn't think it did anymore. But I think uh, a friend of mine, <laughs> a friend of mine, was reviewed on Pitchfork, and pretty much the next day, their manager was emailed by Primavera Sound and. Right. Yeah, yeah. In Spain, right? Okay. So it still has a lot of influence as far as I sure. see. Yeah, There's yeah. probably loads of other things that i got no idea about because I'm 38. But, you know, I I just don't work like that. I guess mm. for me, I go, well, I've put out six albums and with the Phoenix Foundation and three EPs and two solo albums and done all these soundtracks and mm. Dave's put out these albums and toured Europe with fucking played arenas around Europe with Simple Minds and mm. um, you know written you know been in a band that had number one singles in New Zealand and that has a there is like that like we've quote unquote paid our dues yeah. you know like so there's I guess you've got the two sides of that coin you've got like either you've got a sense of entitlement and there's an old, old boys club and yeah. fuck you you're the establishment but on the flip side it's like actually I've done shit loads of shit gigs um, for free when I was younger you know I've done all that shit so maybe I do maybe I did or maybe I do sort of uh, maybe it's maybe it's okay that I feel like maybe um, that I've paid my dues that I've been around and you know the problem the problem with your level of entitlement there and I have it too I have exactly the same thing the problem with your level of entitlement there is that nowadays it's about clickbaits and viral hits so your pedigree doesn't matter a share of shit to someone who just just wants to cover you know you're too old frankly which yeah exactly I'm a a 38 year old dad so and I'm pretty mellow I'm a 41 year old dad that wrote coffee smoke a bit of pot now and then at my house (laughs) but I wrote copy I don't do that I wrote wrote copy for people for years for free and now um, and then I worked my way up to getting paid and now no one wants to pay for copy so what do I do you know hey hey We've arrived again. <laughs> Middle-aged yeah, men totally. whinging. Yeah, totally. We've, That's the fucking problem. Always, That's always, what happens when you hit 40. Totally. You get a bit annoyed. <laughs> Where are you going? I don't know. I'm just pacing around. Yeah, yeah. So, Let's um, get off that one. Yeah, yeah, totally. Let's maybe even get rid of it. <laughs> Jesus, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I guess... I guess... I guess when you'd make something and you think it's good and you think people will like it, I guess maybe, especially in New Zealand, you're just setting yourself up to be, like, mildly disappointed. But but the thing is, you know, look at the election. New Zealand is a mildly disappointing place because there's a lot of promise of how cool things could be, and they're not that cool. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I guess that's my experience of putting out teeth, is that... Is that I had a lot of fucking fun making that album, and people who do hear it like really it. like it. Yeah. And people come to our shows, and they're almost like surprised, you know? Like there's like all these kind of like we had a couple of younger support bands in in Auckland who were like, 
really into it. Yeah. Because I guess it's not what you expect from a Phoenix Foundation Mutton Birds side project. You yeah, don't necessarily yeah. expect walls of feedback. But um, it's really fun. And so, yeah, it's a confession. Maybe I expected too much. Maybe I have a sense of, um, you know, fucking white male entitlement about it. Sure I do. I'm a middle-aged white male. Um, I will acknowledge all of, all of this. It doesn't change the fact that I felt, you know, a bit annoyed and disappointed. I don't know, maybe disappointment. Maybe you just have to learn how to deal with disappointment and that's how you grow up. I don't know. No, you do. And that's, you, you, you know, you're allowed to feel that way. Like, it's a completely, uh, no one needs to tell you what you're allowed to feel, but it's a completely valid response. Yeah, I totally understand a, it. Emotion Nazi, so. I'm, I'm, I'm being far from that. I, um, I, I'm just saying, like, you do have to realize and it's it's an indictment as much as anything that uh that uh people just frankly don't give a shit even near as much of a shit as you want them to yeah of course and why would they care about like the plight of your album because because people and also i don't really and and also i'm pretty lazy about listening to new to new music so what a fucking hypocrite um but the other thing is well i haven't made it through (laughs) an, an album that's come out and like the last well, two you go. years, you're your own worst enemy, yeah. you know, like that's the thing. But you but generally, again, because I'm disappointed by them. Yeah, but the, the other perception that people will never shake is that you're a musician and a full-time musician, so people just figure one way or another, you must be doing quite well because you've chosen this. And they just think, you know, and I get the same. Yeah, well, oh. that's why I'm one of the luckiest people in the world is because I have actually chosen my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lifestyle, and that's one of those big fucking right-wing lies, isn't it, is the word choice. Well, I actually did, I actually had choice, so I really shouldn't necessarily complain. I chose to never own a house. (laughs) Um, Is there going to be another Teeth record, like, that will be, you know, so there's going to be more shows and... Yeah, yeah, shit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we, yeah. we, we like it. The problem, I was going to say because it feels like a largely happy, apart from the story you've just told, which I understand. Uh, it's always felt like a pretty happy experience. The teeth shows I've been to have been really good. I just, I just suck at admin. Basically, well, this is the I other... suck at, um, suck at personal admin. You know, yeah, yeah. taxes from years ago and all that shit <laughs> lying around. Yeah. So try organising a tour. It's so yeah, much, totally. so much this emailing. Is, this is this other thing that's the the problem. This is the other problem isn't it is that um everyone like creative people are largely having to be self-managed and in, in some capacity which means that you become your own marketer and if you're working on marketing and promotion that takes a lot of time it's not your best skill set it's not your be- best use of time but it has to be and so the work that you do gets compromised the amount of time you can spend on the work and the, the amount of the toll that it takes to make the work yeah, and it's what about, so what about chopping up? up the onions, peeling the potatoes, exactly. making three different meals for the um, onion intolerant vegetarian and the really <laughs> um, specific dietary requirements for your children, yeah. and then and making then the having to do the fucking yeah. the dishes, and then the school lunches, and then like, oh shit, look, there's five loads of of washing here uh, and I don't know you know like so yeah I guess yeah anyway so 
My God, here we are yeah, again. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's well, terrible. <laughs> you need to sit down. I haven't even, I haven't even drunk any beers. No, you haven't drunk. But anything. anyway, that's just you reality. Need to, you need to sit down and hydrate and talk about. Um, Stop the next Phoenix let's, Foundation. Let's get. Let's. You've got the power of editing. Edit the whinging because oh, we don't nah. need it. No, we do need it this time okay. because it's because it's sober. It's sober whinging and it's it's, it's honest. But and that's but that's not even like necessarily talking about that shit. That's not even necessarily whinging. That's just like no. That's just the way it it's goes. Just acknowledging the reality yeah, kids, of it. You get older and it's like well actually I can no longer just fuck off for a tour where I make no, no money because I just can't. I just actually can't do that. I couldn't um, not include Anika Moa because. Um, she calls me a cunt she in fact uses that word more than anyone has ever used that word on this podcast and I think ever will Um, that will be no surprise to anyone that's heard Anika interviewed or or seen her play live particularly Um, she was one of the people that again I've known Anika for a few years and she was always going to be on the podcast and but she's probably um, been the person who we've had to I don't want to say she's let me down but we've had to reschedule uh, the most. It, it only just happened or, uh, towards the end of last year. It was episode 88. Um, and I went and met her just after her sound check. So we're sitting on the balcony of the San Fran. And um, so this little extract's not too long, this little piece from um, this podcast, you'll hear uh, from this episode, you'll hear the traffic, the street noise. Um, you'll, you'll hear her call me a cunt, I would say, a dozen times in about five minutes. Um, and yeah we just sort of hit the ground running um, which is how I sort of guessed it would go with her but um, I really really enjoyed um, this chat with Anika because a lot comes out in it it was um, there's as I say, as it goes on, there's a bit of street noise, there's a bit of band noise, and um, maybe it would have been better in some ways to do it in a, in a studio or in, a, in, in the lounge here or uh, whatever, but or at her place. But um, all of those things were planned over the <laughs> over the last couple of years. But this is the take that we got, and I'm sure I'll end up talking to her again um, for the podcast at some point. But um, yeah, this is Anika sounding off about. Um, her frustrations with me not liking one of her albums and, and a few things like that. Yeah, so I, I, know, I know you, we've met a few times, I've had the distinct pleasure of being called a racist and a and cunt by you. Yeah, yep, you are yep. a racist but, cunt. Oh, you, I don't, think, I didn't call I don't you a, think you quite put them together like that I didn't that call previously. you a fat racist cunt. No, 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 not, not until just now. No, you're not, you're not that <laughs> racist. <laughs> so, but the other, the other thing is, um, your person, your story's been told heaps, mostly, yep. mostly by you. Yeah. Um, but also, and you know, you've, you've, you, you don't struggle to get press, and you've also got your own platforms, your own forums. Yeah, so, yeah. so I don't feel like, unless you want to, we need to go over all this kind of early signing to the record no, label I talk, and all do you of that know sort of what shit. I want to talk about. I, I want to talk, talk about what you want to talk about. I want to talk about the day, and I don't actually find this offensive, but mm-hmm. the day that I bumped into you, it was funny. Um, and I just released an album with Bow and Holly. <laughs> Oh, and you yeah. ca- didn't you come? Oh, yeah, did no, you come to the gig? It was at the gig, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, we because we met like a day after, oh, and I was yeah, going no, for a run. Yeah, that's what I mean. That was it. And um, and you hated that album, and because you've actually so you loved. Did, no, you were sceptical of Thinking Room, but then you gave it three stars. Did I? I, I think, that's, I think that's what you told me. You were oh. like, uh, uh, who's this fucking up, come, upstart? And then you were like, oh, it's not bad. Yeah. Then you love Stolen How, I yeah. know that. And yeah. um, Swizz Tide, I don't know. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah. Um, I Neither. can't remember the rest. No, Neither. I, no, no, no. I, the, I, <laughs> and yeah. then you slayed me on the street and you were like, oh, fucking Bowen and Holly, they can't write and all this. And you know what? At the time, I was like, 
you know what, I'm so up to getting I'm up for this <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you can't win everything. But at the same time, I just love Holly and Bo and I felt yeah. sad for them yeah. that you hated them, their music and their voices. And their, What was it that you didn't... What, no, what was I, it that you I, couldn't I think, take from that album? I mean, I, I know, I yeah, know what yeah, there is yeah, that yeah. I can't take from that album, but what yeah. is it that you can't take from that well, I, I can't remember the album all that well, which speaks to you know what I thought of it. It wasn't memorable, um, but I I actually think what happened was when I bumped into you, yeah, you'd done the gig, and I went to the gig, and but you I had would, to buy your tickets because Campbell Smith didn't want to give you any. That's right. He, he, yeah, hates, yeah. he thinks you're a cunt. Too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I. I did go to the show, and the show was better than the album, as they often are in those sorts of situations. Was it well, I think so, because here's the thing. I don't think I would ever say that Bo Rung is not a good singer, and oh. I thought, particularly in the show, she was amazing. She's got the bomb voice, yeah, bro. Yeah, so I, I'll, I'll defend um, what you said about me there. <laughs> um, I don't think Holly's a good writer. I don't think Bo is a particularly great writer, but, you know, um, the sort of stripped-down version of that... Uh, a couple of those stellar songs actually sounded amazing. Mm, I agree. And they were good songs. So, but the album was pretty, for me, pretty unmemorable in terms of material. I mean, mm. even even your songs weren't as good as they are on your album. Well, they weren't my songs well, though. Well, there you go. So there no, you no, go. no. But this is the thing. Every single song we wrote was, together. So it was all yeah, done by had, committee. Yeah. But we had to because this is the thing with girls. You were girls. put together as a. No, no one told us what to do. Oh, okay. But when you're with other women in a room, mm-hmm. they will specifically say what percentage, you know, like yeah. it's, it's all down the middle, <laughs> right. everything's even. Yeah. And that's fine with me, but yeah. as a songwriter, I, I take, when, I, when I'm writing with someone, I've, I've learned to just go 50-50, yeah. because you, I can't be fucked with a squabble, yeah, I yeah. can't be fucked with people going, well I wrote this, yeah. <laughs> so, when, and especially with, when you're with feisty motherfucking women like Holly and, and well not Bo, because she don't give a fuck, she, yeah. you just give her a wine, she's happy. Ho- Holly and you, Yeah. <laughs> is yeah. what you mean. Well no, just Holly, because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. want to fight with Holly, yeah. um, you just do it, you yeah. just do that stuff, and I, I really enjoyed the process I didn't enjoy the writing so much. I, I enjoyed recording it with Joel because yeah. Joel Mulholland produced it. Yeah. Because um, I got to actually work with him for the yeah. first time, and I got to actually record it live as well. Worked, and that's worked out okay. Oh, you, he's, you he's awesome. Yeah. Basically, been collaborators since. Yeah, yeah. He's and, he's a yeah. really. I, I like his music. I like his yeah. style. I like his melodies. Actually. Yeah, yeah. No, he's a clever. Um, but yeah, that was a full-on uh, day because I thought I did think about it for an hour after did we you? talked. Well, of course I did. I not. I'm not a fucking fuckwit. But um, well, I just. <laughs> Wanted to get, I was thinking, oh, do you know what, what I've, happened? Do you know what I've remembered about that though? My tits. Well, I was going to say a couple. I was going to say a couple of things, <laughs> um, but I, uh, I I had just got back because this is crazy because I was thinking about this earlier because it's been yeah five five years since it, since it came out. But um, I had just got back. I think the very first copy of my book. So oh, I, the orange one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the only one. Yeah, yeah. I've only done one. But yeah, exactly. The orange one. Yeah, that's <laughs> the nicest thing anyone's ever said about orange it, actually. One. Thank you. Um, on song. Yeah. And, um, on song. So I remember actually show, I had that with me. I bumped into yeah, you and showed that. you the book. Like, mm. And you went straight to the pictures of yourself. Yeah, fuck you. And said, I don't Why, care about anyone else in this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's probably the only chapter you ever read about. <laughs> but, um, I didn't even read that but No, fair enough. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I you know I'd forgotten all about that album you did with Anika um, and Holly. Yeah, and I would recommend you do too. <laughs> <laughs> You're a cunt. Um, I, I thank you if you've made it all the way through this. This is that's the end, um, pretty much. I'm going to leave you with one tiny little clip, but um, yeah, I just want to say thanks again. Um, all, all of this um, 
episode is me just talking off the cuff as I'm sure you'd be well aware by the amount of uh, stumbles I've made um, but I just really uh, you know I'm still enjoying doing this so I'm going to keep doing it and I'm I am kind of amazed that um, not so much that I got to 100 episodes but but that, that it's happened in the time that it has um, they, the weeks just race by now and I've managed to get uh, a lot of great people to to talk. I could have played you um, clips by any of the other people on the podcast. I drank whiskey with Debbie Harwood at her house in Hawke's Bay. Um, I went and visited Miranda Harcourt at her house in Wellington. I talked to Patrick Gower, who you know is is famous now for being all over the TV and the news, but um, he's an old friend of mine from university. I went to Rian Sheehan's. Um, house, his very flash studio and um, saw all of his amazing gear and talked with him and again he's an old friend, I used to work with him. Lisa Tomlins came to my house, she was one of the first guests and I didn't, I, I do know Lisa, I know Lisa well but I didn't, that was the first time we had a great conversation, this first time we really talked for a huge amount of time. Uh, I went and visited Stuart Coop in Australia and he told me, you know, stories that rival Sylvie Simmons about working with and meeting just about everyone famous in in music. Um, I had the two guys from Into Orbit round here. That was the first time I talked to more than one person for a podcast. Emily Wrights has been, she's a friend, she's been around twice, once to plug her book, once to, or one, the first time I went to her house. Uh, I met Layla Adu in a hotel room in, in Wellington to talk to her. The American blues guitarist Chris Kane, very politely, talked to me in his hotel room in Wellington when he was here touring. Tammy Nielsen came round first thing in the morning straight after a fantastic gig and uh, we got to talk about how much I hated her first album but you know we got to do that because I love just about everything else that she's done Julia Dean's played guitar to me in a Wellington hotel room I'm just looking through the list of, of people I've talked to and I'm kind of amazed that um, these conversations have happened where they've happened and and how they've gone um, it was very special to talk to Matt Vickers on the uh, launch of his book um, I got a half an hour and out the back of a noisy cafe with Robert Forster from the Go-Betweens and I really wish that we'd been able to do that. Uh, if anyone's persevered with that episode, there's a lot of wind noise and a lot of um, tinkering teacups and talking, but still I got to talk to Robert Forster. Um, Nick Bollinger, one of my writing heroes, came around and spoke at length about his career and his fantastic book. Um, gosh, you know... Uh, Oh, that was the other podcast I might have done when I was in Auckland. Um, when I said I did a whole bunch, I had a great chat to Victoria Kelly, amazing composer, um, sitting with Sharon O'Neill in Havelock North the night the morning after she'd played a gig. That was a treat. Um, Ricky Gooch, another one that I, you know, a dear friend and a, an amazing talent and a guy that I had to reschedule a few times. It just didn't quite, you know, we kept clashing. We had things on. Um Gosh, any of these people I could have played you a little excerpt from and, and so many others. One of my um, favourite really special conversations I think was with uh, Tammy Allen, the CEO of Changing Minds, that we really get into the mental health thing there because that's what Changing Minds is about. Um, so yeah, I, I hope to keep bringing these conversations to you and I am I am really proud of the, the ones that, that I've had and I um, have learnt so much from the from the people um, that I've talked to uh, they have great stories they've had amazing lives they've had interesting lives and um, I think you know it's fun getting a chance to reflect um, I'm going to leave you with a, a, a very short 
second clip from the Phil Judd conversation. Um, this is the end of the, the chat, and it just felt like a nice way to sign off um, this little brag that I'm doing about a, uh, for the 100th episode about all the past conversations. Um, Phil was um, exhausted at the end of talking about himself for now. He found it very hard work, um, and I could sense that, and I could see that happening, and I wanted to wrap it up before um, things you know um didn't feel as good for him and um when i think when i thanked him at the end of the podcast um you can really hear that he's got a bit of a lump in his throat and um he he sort of um almost almost struggles to get his words out at the end and um it was really quite emotional i think for both of us i well i know it was and uh, um i I just think, well, this is a nice, you know, this is exactly why I left his house thinking, man, I can't wait for people to hear this conversation. I can't believe I got this on tape. I can't believe I met someone who meant so much to me and continue his music continues to mean so much to me so see you next week for uh, a really great chat with a really talented individual and hopefully the episodes keep coming after that and thanks for your support if you want to go to press patron and donate feel free of course you still get to hear these episodes whether you do that or not and uh, and uh, this is the final couple of minutes from episode 61 was me in Melbourne last year talking to Phil Judd I feel like, um, uh, you know, every time we've, we've talked, which is only, a, it's the first time we've actually met, we've talked a couple of times on the phone, uh, we've had a bit of correspondence over the years, um, I feel like you've been um, very indulgent um, for, you know, very, uh, what's the word, accommodating of my indulgence and my whim of wanting to talk to you about what you do. I don't know if you enjoy Going, well, going through, you know, the, going through the past. Your but. heart's in it. Um, I can tell when somebody's heart's in it. Yeah. Uh, if, if you were some DJ from Triple Fucking Whatnot, I wouldn't They wanted a sound bite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Ca- I can't do that. Yeah. That's been my downfall as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to say on um, on tape for what it's worth, I know I've said this to you before, but thanks for, for, for so much of the music that's kind of been a big soundtrack to my life and I know there are I know a lot of people that feel the same way so I'm gonna try and say it on behalf of them as well but thanks thanks so much for taking us through this and 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 for really all that you've done. Thank you. Chances are oh, there's not that far to go. Oh.